We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome to face connecticut an in-depth look at today's issues good morning and welcome to another edition of face connecticut on wtic news talk 1080 96.5 tic fm and light 100.5 wrch Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning. Happy Independence Day. And we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Catherine Hermes. She is professor and chair of the History Department at Central Connecticut State University in New Britain. Good morning to you. Good morning. It's very nice to be here, Aaron. Well, the nation is celebrating its 245th birthday today. Set the scene for us, Professor. What was going on in Connecticut when the Second Continental Congress approved the Declaration of Independence all those years ago? Well, Connecticut had already been involved in Revolutionary War efforts. They had they had been instrumental in protesting the Stamp Act in 1765, April of 1765. Um, they had even tarred and feathered the stamp collector um, in uh, in 1765, and they were. Connecticut had a large number of patriots, but they also had a large number of loyalists, especially down in the area of Fairfield County, where there were more people who identified as Anglican. Um, And so I more identified with the sort of British Atlantic world than the Connecticut Congregationalist uh, founders. And um, And also, I think there were a lot of people who were in the neutral camp, didn't really know where to stand, uh, where they stood, and they weren't sure about independence. I mean, independence was not a given. And minds were being changed in part by the publication of Tom Paine's Common Sense, a pamphlet that argued that the monarchy made no sense. And... Um, And minds were also being changed by British laws that seemed increasingly to encroach on colonial freedoms. So talk about how each side's argument went, the the patriots and the loyalists. So for the patriots, the argument was that they owed allegiance to the king because of their colonial charters. But the colony had its own general assembly and that general assembly should be the body that taxed the people of Connecticut. They really shouldn't have to pay taxes to the British government and shouldn't have parliament legislating for them. They were 
governed in part by a board of trade. They certainly paid um, the kind of Navigation Act duties that had been uh, in place since the 1650s, but they really didn't think that they should have to pay taxes legislated by parliament on other kinds of goods and services and paper like the Stamp Act uh, legislation. Um, they resented some of the continuous encroachments that we saw in Boston, uh, like the Boston Port Bill. Um, they got worried about the right to trial by jury because in the um, coercive acts or sometimes called the intolerable acts, Britain had asserted the right to try colonists in England for acts of sedition. So, so there were a lot of ideas from that had been part of sort of what they called Whig ideology, the, the old Whig party of England that had itself revolted against British monarchs, uh, James II in particular during the Glorious Revolution, and had argued that you could tell when someone was becoming a tyrant, when a king was becoming a tyrant, by whether they tried to abrogate trial by jury, whether they tried to tax the people unfairly, whether they tried to um, have a standing army in a time of peace. And so things like the Quartering Act, placing soldiers in American homes, all of these were signs that the king was trying to tyrannize or you know, create a dictatorship of some kind. And, and that was the, the Patriot argument was, we support the king, oh, well, up until independence, right? We support the king and we're loyal, but the king's power has to be checked and there are limits and parliament's power also has to be checked. We have our own colonial assemblies to regulate us. And the loyalists, the loyalists, you know, weren't as far apart from the patriots on some of these arguments as people think. They essentially agreed with that kind of Whig ideology, but they also thought that some of the seditious elements had gone too far and they were pro-monarchy. Um, they also believed in parliament's limited right to tax, especially to pay for things like uh, the wars, the French and Indian War um, that had used up so much of English coffers and for which the Americans really had not paid additional taxes. But, they, but everyone kind of agreed that these essential rights were important, the right to trial by jury, the right to be safe in your homes, the, the right to have warrants before searches and seizures. They all agreed on that, but they thought differently about the sort of tipping point when is it okay to rebel against the king? For the loyalists, it was never. And for the patriots, it was when that king becomes a tyrant. How big a factor was slavery in the push for independence from Great Britain? I don't think that slavery itself was a huge factor in declaring independence itself. Um, it certainly plays a, a major part in the war. Um, slavery had become a, a tremendous question in, in the preceding decades. Quakers 
for example, in Rhode Island and in Pennsylvania had in their, um, in their annual meeting in the 1750s declared that they would disengage from owning slaves and disengage from the slave trade. There were many debates about whether it was right to enslave people. Certainly the Whig arguments about personal freedom and liberty were starting to chip away at the idea of slavery. And in part, I think the Declaration of Independence the, in its original version struggles with the idea of slavery. Jefferson himself um, tried to blame the British and the King in particular for the institution of slavery. And it's, not, it's certainly not clear that Jefferson thought he should disengage or you know, free his own slaves, um, but, and he never did. Um, but it's, um, it, I think that the declaration shows this tension and, and to some degree the hypocrisy of owning uh, people at a time when it's, it's supposed to be this great fight for liberty. And I think one of the essential things to remember is what Edmund Morgan in his book, American Slavery, American Freedom, called the great American paradox, where he says, in some ways, freedom and slavery were almost symbiotic because American freedom became defined in some ways by the condition of enslavement that Americans witnessed on a daily basis. And so much of what white Americans saw as freedom was in fact, distinction from uh, the condition of the slaves in their presence. And, and he also says that in some ways, American freedom needed enslavement because were it not for the enslaved people who did the work that was the, the menial work, the manual work, that was required to support many of these colonists, they would not have had time to do the reading. They would not have had time to organize their resistance movements, were it not for the fact that other people were doing the work for them. Uh, so it's, a, it's an important relationship in the ability of the Americans to become free, but it's, it's not like it was in the Civil War at the heart of why they were fighting. Talk to us a, a little about what was going on in Philadelphia as the Second Continental Congress was meeting. I think of the Trumbull painting that I think is on the $2 bill of everyone signing, but it, it wasn't right. all compacted into a single day like you might think, right? No. In fact, there were, there were drafts of the Declaration. There were arguments about it. Um, Jefferson was not the only one to draft it. Benjamin Franklin and John Adams were the committee that was charged with drafting the declaration. It, it underwent a number of changes and they wanted to be careful to frame the arguments. And so you have that great preamble that states the principles upon which the country is to be founded. And then you have the list of grievances against the king. And note that they are at this time against the king. Um, this was a controversial move because for 
a decade, the argument had been against parliament. And so they were trying to, they, what they had to show was these colonial charters and proprietorships and rule by the king now had to be abrogated. And that, that was their difficult ideological position, right? The difficult argument to make. So they had to construct very carefully why the king had become a tyrant in order to give them the moral and what they thought of as the legal authority to overthrow him. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Catherine Hermes. She is professor and chair of the history department at Central Connecticut State University in New Britain. Talk to us about the Connecticut signers of the Declaration of Independence. The signers include four very prominent uh, people from Connecticut, Samuel Huntington, Roger Sherman, William Williams, and Oliver Walcott. They, of course, were um, extremely prominent people. Um, Roger Sherman is perhaps the most famous of them. He was um, a statesman. He's um, a lawyer, very typical in terms of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence. Many of them were lawyers. He supported the boycott against Britain uh, during the Intolerable Acts. And um, he also had a hand, he was not as prominent as Benjamin Franklin or John Adams or Thomas Jefferson, but he also had a hand in the drafting of the Declaration. Um, And Sherman uh, was originally, uh, I think, from Massachusetts, but settled then um, in Connecticut when he was a young man and um, in um, New Milford. There were other big figures in the revolution from Connecticut. Certainly top of mind is the state hero, Nathan Hale. But there were there were other names there as well. Let, let's start, I guess, with, with Nathan Hale, because a lot of people know something about him from school or from wherever. He was a, a school teacher, correct? Yes, he was. Um, he was educated at Yale, and Yale has a statue of him in front of the building in which he, uh, in which was used as a dormitory when he was a student there. Um, and of course, there are many statues of Nathan Hale all over Connecticut. There are many schoolhouses. He seems to have taught at a variety of schoolhouses uh, from time to time in his short career. And the Nathan Hale homestead is a, a place that you can tour. It's a very beautiful homestead, but he didn't live there uh, very long because it was really his family's homestead. And then he went away to college and then went away to, uh, to serve in the army. Um, but he's most famous, of course, when he was captured by the British on a spy mission for general Washington in 1776, and they convicted him. The penalty was execution by hanging. And his famous last words were, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. And so these were recorded and, you know, have become iconic. They're repeated in almost every American textbook now. So Nathan Hale was certainly an important and inspiring figure, but there are others. We have, for example, a legend, uh, it's more legend perhaps than fact, of Sybil Ludington, who on April 26th, 1777, at the age of 16, allegedly made an all-night horseback ride 
during a driving rainstorm to alert militia forces in New York and Danbury of the approach of British forces. And she's sometimes called the female Paul Revere. I think that's sort of sexist, but <laughs> um, according to the legend, she rode 40 miles to warn approximately 400 militiamen. She's memorialized on a bicentennial stamp. It, it was a, a series called uh, Contributors to the Cause, and she's on that postage stamp. There's even an episode of Drunk History about her, but people don't agree on whether she really completed this ride or the circumstances of it. Um, certainly a lot of the details, like the name of her horse, which was reported to be Star, and her you know, riding with the stick that whipped him you know, so that they could go faster and faster, all of those kinds of details are probably apocryphal. And in 1996, the Daughters of the American Revolution said that the evidence was not strong enough to support their criteria for a war heroine. Um, they even removed a book about her from their headquarters bookstore. And so the debate about Sybil Ludington's contribution to the revolution is very much debated. We have other very famous Connecticut contributors to the revolution, a man named Simeon Simons was a native person. Some say Wampanoag Pocaniket. Uh, some say Mashantucket Pequot. He was born in Pachog, which is now Griswold. And he served as George Washington's bodyguard when the Marquis de Lafayette uh, came through Connecticut in 1824 and stopped at Johnson's Tavern in Jewett City. Um, a lot of people gathered to honor him and Simeon Simons saw Lafayette and Lafayette remembered him. And so he's also a big figure, but there are also a lot of forgotten patriots. In fact, there's a, a Daughters of the American Revolution book called Forgotten Patriots that chronicles the service of all of the people of color, uh, all of the men of color who served in the American Revolution and of Connecticut's 169 towns, 80 contributed African-Americans to the cause. The largest number, 33, came from Colchester. One man, for example, and I think this is a, an important story, Jeffrey Stiles was a member of the 6th Connecticut Regiment. He fought at the Battle of White Plains, but when he applied for a pension in his old age, which all veterans of the Revolutionary War were entitled to, there was a problem because he had changed his name. He had been enslaved by the Stiles family. And so he thought before he entered the 6th Regiment, but perhaps he was wrong on the dates, he had changed his name to Jeffrey Brace. Well, that name changed caused a lot of doubt about his story and where he was in the American Revolution. And so at first his pension was denied, but finally he did receive a monthly pension of $8 until he died in 1827. And if you look at the pension applications from Connecticut, the majority of those denied were from people of color. Uh, their stories were often doubted. Some of them got resolved, but many were simply denied pensions, uh, which was extremely unfair because the level of, of documentation 
that was required, often required things like um, prove that you were married to the person you say you were married to. Well, so a lot of people of color, especially enslaved people, couldn't marry without the permissions of their masters. And so they didn't have legal marriages that were recorded by town clerks. And so all of these things through pension applications into disarray. I also wanted to speak a little bit about the, the in native population too, because they also had some unique circumstances. So for example, Rebecca Tanner was a Mohegan widow who lost all five of her sons during the Revolutionary War. Sarah Cyrus lost her two sons. And the result of the death of Sarah Cyrus's sons was that land belonging to the native people on 30 Mile Island was reclaimed by the state because there wasn't, there weren't people who could continue to lay claim to it, according to the state. And so sometimes lands were, tribal lands were lost as a result of the deaths of native people. But there were, there was a lot of native participation, almost 600 Native Americans from Connecticut and 820 African Americans can be identified as serving in the American Revolution. Now, were the Native Americans solidly in the, the, the Patriots camp, or was there any sort of division there? Um, most of them fought for the Patriot side. Um, very few went over to the Loyalist side. For, for African Americans, it was a little more complicated. While most in Connecticut fought for the Patriot side, some fought for the Loyalists. First of all, they thought the British might win. <laughs> that seemed the logical outcome. And they thought there might be a greater chance of freedom. For Native people generally in the, in the country, a lot of tribal nations remained neutral or sided with the British because they saw the crown as actually being more favorable to them. And again, it's the idea that the American colonists could actually win um, seemed pretty absurd, I think, to a, lot of the, to a lot of the nations like the Iroquois or the Cherokee, for example. Beyond the fireworks and barbecues and parades today, what is one takeaway, in your view, that, that people should really have about Independence Day? You know, I think American independence is a it's a thing we should celebrate, right? The Republican form of government instituted by the Constitution um, that is the result of the revolution is a, an incredibly wonderful thing, but it was not, it's, it's not a perfect thing. It was not perfect when it was created. And I think the Declaration of Independence and what we celebrate on July 4th is something that is always evolving. So when Frederick Douglass gave his address about what does the 4th of July mean to the Negro, he articulated the huge problem, the, the elephant in the room, right? What did this revolution mean for African-Americans, for the enslaved and free people of color in the United States? And it did not mean the same thing. And so that struggle remained. That was not entirely ironed out, even in the Civil War. The promises of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were not carried forward in the immediate aftermath of the war or during Reconstruction. Uh, when Jim Crow was instituted at the end of the war in, in many states, 
it left this huge gap. And I think we're seeing now an, yet another opportunity to make the 4th of July mean something for the entire population who lives in America. And hopefully we can carry that forward. It's, it's an important end. So when people are shooting off their fireworks and celebrating independence, they need to keep in mind that the promises of the declaration, equality and liberty have to be extended to every single person. She is Dr. Catherine Hermes, professor and chair of the history department at Central Connecticut State University. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and happy Independence Day. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope everyone has a, a great 4th of July. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 